Hey listeners, it's Lauren here with a message from our friends at DraftKings. The second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part is that it's free to play. DraftKings free to play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Hey, I'm Aspo from the Solar Panel. When I'm not listening to my own voice, I'm listening to On the NBA Beat. You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Brooklyn has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Greetings, NBA enthusiasts. This is Aaron. Today I'm flying solo, but have no fear, a timely Denver Nuggets episode is here, and Lauren should be back next week. Just ahead, Mike Singer, Nuggets beat reporter for the Denver Post, joins me to highlight star center Nikola Jokic's MVP season and the current trouble the Nuggets find themselves in, down 3-0 to the Suns. Following a several-year stint as a national NBA editor for USA Today, Mike's concluding his third season covering the franchise. Before he had media availability to attend to, he also looked ahead to the Nuggets' most significant looming questions as they stand one defeat away from entering the 2021 offseason. Early on in Mike's reporting career, he covered a number of games at the 2012 Big East Tournament at Madison Square Garden. At halftime of a Louisville-Notre Dame match, he ran into the 42nd President of the United States as the two were returning to their seats. Mike asked Bill Clinton, what was then not that random of a question, what do you think of Peyton Siva? Clinton began to answer, saying that he's amazing. Then Mike interrupted the former president a couple times to cite the Louisville Guards halftime numbers. After the stats were listed, Clinton cracked, and nice tattoos. Clinton laughed at his own joke, but it was a good line. In case you'd like to witness the short but memorable exchange, The interaction was posted for posterity on YouTube, and that link will appear in the show notes. But back to the task at hand. 
I've got a terrific Nuggets interview with the Denver Post's Mike Singer coming right up, so stay tuned. It's a pleasure to have you on, Mike, despite the circumstances as Denver stands on the brink of elimination, down three games to none to the Phoenix Suns. We'll definitely get into some of the specifics coming up, but from a big picture standpoint, have the two most important factors in the series been Denver's inability to slow down the Suns' offense in any meaningful way and the failure of any single player or even a combination of nuggets to replace the reliable scoring void left by Jamal Murray's injury? Are those the two main things when you look at it from a a 10,000-foot view? There is absolutely no question that they are feeling the effects of the Jamal Murray injury. If you think about it from a zoomed-out perspective, when you lose Jamal Murray to a torn ACL on April 12th, that essentially elevates every other player in the depth chart. Now Michael Porter Jr. is being asked to do uh, a number two scorer's role. Uh, Aaron Gordon has become a number three scoring option in the Nuggets office. When the Nuggets traded for him, he was only supposed to be the fourth or fifth option. Will Barton is on the mend from a hamstring injury, just came back, uh, played 16 minutes in game two, played 28 minutes in last night's Friday's game three. And, you know, they just don't have a lot of scoring options to contend with the Phoenix Suns. And, And yes, you talked about it. Phoenix's offense is firing on all cylinders. And it's not like any one player is overwhelming them, although you could say Chris Paul is completely carving them up. But his numbers are not that jarring in comparison to the rest of the Suns players. DeAndre Aiden's playing a great series. Devin Booker is just, um, you know, devastating from the mid-range, from the corner three. They're getting huge contributions from McCall Bridges and Torrey Craig, and, and even Dario Saric off the bench is giving them minutes and, and campaign. So up and down, the Suns are so dynamic. They are so in sync on both ends of the floor. And going into game three, Michael Malone talked about how Denver's offense was hurting their defense. And what he meant by that was they were missing so many open shots that basically Phoenix was not having to, you know, it was a completely transition offense. And so uh, basically the, the Suns were just rolling, playing downhill, and the Nuggets weren't helping themselves because they were missing all these open looks. So it's a multifaceted uh, problem with, with what's going on in this series. But at the bottom line is there's a giant talent disparity and a giant talent gap between these teams um, emanating from that Jamal Murray injury, and you're seeing it in this 3-0 deficit. Definitely. And first, I want to follow up on the offensive side of the ball, Jamal Murray's injury specifically. Just looking at it, after he went down with that season-ending injury on April 12th, the Nuggets really played well, 13-5 and over their final 18 regular season games. Their offensive rating ranked 8th in the league, at 115.8 points per 100 possessions. I think, and we'll get to Aaron Gordon in a second, I think his inspired play was a big part of it as well. But for you, what's the biggest difference between that ending of the regular season without Murray and this second round series? Is it mostly just how good Phoenix is or are there other factors as well? Yeah, I mean, let's. I'm just going to go back to the first round series against Portland. Um, Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers, Denver's starting backcourt, were positive impact players. 
the biggest difference between Portland and Phoenix is that Portland had the 29th ranked defense in the NBA this year, and Phoenix's defense is ranked sixth in the league. What that means is that if Austin Rivers and Faku Composo are not giving you anything offensively, that means that you are not making Chris Paul and Devin Booker work on the defensive end. Um, therefore, they're saving all their energy for the offensive end and just picking you to pieces. So, like I said, talent disparity, but but more, more you know, specifically if we zoom in, it's in the backcourt. Like, we knew that Phoenix had among the most elite backcourts in the entire NBA. Chris Paul has something like three or four turnovers this entire series. I think 33 assists. Uh, in comparison to that. And, you know, Compazzo, again, going back to the depth chart, is a 30-year-old rookie who was probably best served as a, as a role player coming off the bench. Austin right. Rivers was sitting on his couch um, two months ago as a free agent. And, mm-hmm. you know, injuries have devastated their backcourt. Uh, we, we mentioned the, the Will Barton injury. P.J. Dozier's been out with an inductor strain for several weeks. And this is what the Nuggets are faced with. They don't have any other options to turn to. Um, and finally, you know, in Friday's Game 3, they got a good performance from Monte Morris. But the backcourt disparity could not be more glaring, in my opinion. Monte Morris had a dreadful first couple games of the series and did bounce back, as you said, in Game 3. But at this rate, how the defense is playing for Denver, they're going to need a lot more offensive contributions, not just from him. And they're going to need more consistency from the entire lineup outside of Nikola Jokic. And they're not getting it right now. One place where we can talk more about is Michael Porter Jr. Fair or not, at his early age, so much was put on his shoulders, or should I say back, this uh, postseason. And he's had some back issues. I'm curious to know if you think given his history with the back, if there should be any long-term concern and just how he looks from your perspective, how he's moving around on the court and if that's affected his production this series. There is absolutely no doubt that it has affected his production this series. I think he tweaked his back late in the first half of game one. Um, He looked stiff to me the second half of game one. And then he comes out ahead of game two wearing a giant brace on his back. I was in Phoenix. I saw it. And he's trying to get himself loose. And he just didn't have it. Like, he, he looked stiff. The Phoenix Suns were attacking him defensively. They were calling out switches. Chris Paul was pointing to guys who he was guarding and asking for the switch so that he could take Porter off the bounce. And offensively, he just has not looked comfortable. He's taken shots out of rhythm, not been that devastating three-point threat that he was throughout pretty much the entire season, and especially after Murray's injury. So there's no doubt that the back has been hampering him. Last night, he did not come out with a brace on his back for pregame warm-ups in Game 3. And uh, so ostensibly, I think he was all right, like injury-wise, but he did not have the game that they needed to he needed him to. I think he ended up going five of thirteen for just fifteen points, and, and was really not that release valve that Nikola Jokic desperately needed. Um, and you know, is it a long term concern? Uh, that's what the Nuggets need to ask themselves. Michael Porter Jr. has effectively only played two years in the NBA. However, he's actually in his third season, uh, given that mm-hmm. he sat out. Um, his first year while rehabbing his second back surgery. And 
I mean, you know the NBA timeline. The Nuggets front office needs to ask themselves, how comfortable are we paying this guy um, an early rookie extension, which he, he will be eligible for this offseason? Um, or do we want to take that to restricted free agency after next season when he could potentially command max money from any team in the league? The Nuggets have traditionally liked to pay their guys early, like to keep them happy, like to reinforce how much they value these guys. Um, but to your question, there are real serious injury concerns. There are defensive concerns. There are um, growth concerns with MPJ. But uh, again, he was so special as a shooter, as a, as a floor spacer this year. And even talking to some of the Nuggets officials, they are just like, giddy when they talk about Porter I have a hard time believing they're not gonna do everything they can to keep him in-house um but you know whether they do that this offseason next offseason I'm not sure yet those are going to be the questions for the next couple weeks yeah some really important questions and he is just 22 he'll be turning 23 by the end of June he finished third and most improved player of the year voting a hair behind Jeremy Grant and Ooh, you saw it up close. Just an amazing three-point shooter. His offensive skills are off the charts. So I think for good reason, a lot was expected from him this series. But it's a tall task. Aaron Gordon is one player who's disappointed and failed to live up, up to the expectations. And maybe they were unfair expectations to begin with. Upon his arrival, Denver reeled off seven straight victories and also won 10 of 13 after the Murray injury. And so I think people were thinking that this is still a very, very good team, even without Jamal Murray, just because now Aaron Gordon's in town. Seems like there's some good depth there. He didn't hit his first shot of game three until the 350 mark of the third quarter and finished with as many points as fouls and turnovers for of each of those. What are you seeing with Aaron Gordon and can he be a piece moving forward for this team? Well, he's under contract for one more season um, and the Nuggets will have all of next year to evaluate what they plan to do with him moving forward. There is no doubt that he has not been the offensive piece um, that they need this series. And again, I don't know if that's fair to ask of him to be the third scoring option in this series. That's not really his game. He has kind of an inconsistent, unreliable three-point shot. Uh, his mid-range is, is iffy. I even think his touch around the basket is is a little bit suspect. How, however, he, he is really good in transition. When he's cutting off the ball, Nikola Jokic you know, makes the most of him and, and finds him, and he's really good in that dunker spot. So I think there are places where Aaron Gordon can find his spots offensively, um, but the reason why they got Aaron Gordon was for the defensive end. And I, and I think he's been reliable. Um, the Nuggets have deployed him on Devin Booker, on Chris Paul. Not that it's been super effective. Uh, nobody has really had too much success slowing down either one of Phoenix's guards. But, you know, Aaron Gordon what came here to be the fourth or fifth option and, and now has been vaulted uh, way up in that depth chart on that pecking order. So they need to decide next year. How can we utilize him? How can we get the most out of him? How can we maximize his value? Because if you remember, they traded Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, who they loved as a prospect, and a future first-round pick. And thus far, you can't say that it has been a great trade. However, that's in the context of, again, 
they were trading him assuming that Jamal Murray was healthy. If Jamal Murray had gotten hurt before the trade deadline, there is no way that the Nuggets would have made that trade, given that R.J. Hampton probably would have been playing 20 to 25 minutes a night as a rookie in the playoffs just because of how decimated Denver's backcourt is. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. If you look at Aaron Gordon's numbers, especially since coming to Denver, his shot volume is not really that high. He doesn't take a ton of shots. He plays hard-nosed defense, gives a lot of energy and effort. And if Michael Porter Jr. is feeling good and Murray is healthy, then like you said, he's the fourth option. And I don't think that's as big of a concern, right? Absolutely. Uh, And again, Will Barton. Will Barton may have been um, the fourth option. So um, not a lot was expected of Aaron offensively, but, you know, injuries have have exposed a lot. And um, he has not been a reliable scoring option for them. There's Mm -hmm. no other way to say it. He he, he was taking some bad shots last night, a step or two inside the three-point line early in the shot clock. And those are just not high percentage uh, conducive looks for good offense. He needs to be getting his points in transition, on the glass, off of cuts, off of ball movement, and benefit from the attention that Nikola Jokic gets. Um, because I have not seen a lot of creation on his, on his end, you know, a lot of one-on-one breakdown. Um, yeah. But the other, the other thing I would say for Aaron Gordon is if they are going to make him an offensive focal point, I would set him up in the post. He is stronger than almost any guy who is trying to guard him. Um, I just think he needs to improve his touch around the rim. But that is where he can find pay dirt is with his back to the basket. Just because most teams are trying to put wings on him. And Aaron Gordon is stronger than, uh, again, almost every other three that he's guarding, that that is guarding him. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of things, Phoenix has shot 51.5% from the floor, nearly 44% from three. They're just with their pick-and-roll offense carving up Denver's defense with Chris Paul leading the charge. Just talk to me a little bit about what's going wrong for Denver defensively besides pretty much everything at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an impossible equation because you'll get an Aiton screen, you'll get a, a Bridges screen, and either Chris Paul will go downhill and force... Nikola Jokic to play up on him on the screen, which he has not wanted to do this series, or uh, he'll get switched with Michael Porter Jr. and and then just take him off the bounce. In game two in the second half, again, Michael Porter's back was not right. Uh, There were three consecutive times down the floor where Chris Paul pointed to Michael Porter's defensive matchup and called for the switch and then abused him and put him in the torture chamber. Yes. So, it, you know, it is an impossible situation given how dominant Chris Paul is. And obviously he's healthy. His, his right shoulder looks good. And then you just you put him with the pieces of Devin Booker, who is obviously a rising talent and can stretch the floor and can score one on one as a really, really impressive bag of kind of scoring options. In Friday's game three, he finished with floaters with both hands down the lane. He can stretch the floor. He can finish with shots in his, with hands in his face. And he's just, you know, he's really kind of blossoming before our eyes. And then you also look at DeAndre Ayton and he's just a dangerous lob threat. Um, so they can hit you from so many angles. They're, they're a dynamic three-level scoring team that also plays defense. I think people are starting to recognize the Suns may be legitimate title contenders and for whatever reason, they were slow to come around in that first series. But this second series, I think, has opened up a lot of people's eyes. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. And my apologies to Nikola Jokic, MVP of the league, that we took this long in the interview to discuss his spectacular season and his phenomenal effort in the Game 3 loss. In that game, and that was after he was presented with the MVP trophy, he recorded a monster triple-double in 40 minutes, 32, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, Yet the Nuggets were outscored by 10 points when he was on the court. And a lot of that has to do with the defense and not having the scoring support that he's needed. Uh, Another stat that I love, he grabbed 10 offensive rebounds alone. Phoenix is an entire team totaled four for the game. How gritty of an effort did we just see on Friday night? I don't know if people are going to appreciate what Nikola Jokic just did. He played 40 minutes. He was exhausted. He shot 13 of 29 from the field, just one of six from three. Um, And I know that that is not the efficient basketball, the efficient offensive machine that he generally is. But that is because there weren't other scoring options that Nuggets players were presenting uh, Joker with. He didn't have any other alternative, you know, people to rely on. So he just started taking those jumpers and um, he gave DeAndre Ayton credit. Uh, Joker tried to, you know, find Pater in the mid range and, and his legs clearly weren't under him. A lot of his threes were short. But to your point, the 10 offensive rebounds, and particularly, there was one play in the fourth quarter that I tweeted out was among the most incredible plays I think I've ever seen Nikola Jokic make. Will Barton took a shot from the baseline and Jokic like slingshotted the ball with his right hand off the backboard, tipped it to himself um, with his left hand, then tipped it to himself three more times amid four different Suns players and then hit a no look pass to Will Barton for the dunk. Like I cannot tell you how exhausted I think Nikola Jokic was last night. And then it seemed like he just kept getting stronger as the game went on, even as he got, you know, scientifically more exhausted. It was an incredible night. Um, You mentioned the insane triple-double. There are three players in NBA history who have at least 32 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists to their name in a playoff game. Those three are Nikola Jokic, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Wilt Chamberlain. That kind of sums it up right there. Yeah, not a bad list to be on. And I'm really glad, but also not surprised that you brought up that play. You tweeted something like, he must have octopus arms right and correct correct that was wild like you said i think it was at least four tips to himself with three sons surrounding him i think four there were four sons and um, i'm gonna give the octopus arms i'm gonna give a nod to danny green because two years ago at the all-star game in chicago he was asked about Nikola Jokic, and, and I'm almost positive that he used the phrase octopus arms to describe <laughs> this dude. And that's what it is. Like, he doesn't jump that high. He's not particularly fast, but his touch around the rim and his soft hands, I believe, are unparalleled in the league. And again, the angles that he throws these passes and, and, and kind of the timing that he plays with, it is so cerebral. I actually think he intended to throw that first pass the one where he or the, the the first rebound um off the backboard to give himself a better chance on the second opportunity when he corralled it with his left hand it was just stunning if you haven't seen it go look it up uh, i tweeted it out but the other thing that's crazy about that play is the nuggets were down 
uh, I believe, 16 points at that moment with only six minutes left in the game. And that was indicative of how hard Nikola Jokic was playing last night. The game was basically over. Their season was pretty much curtains. You're looking at a 3-0 deficit, never, never overcome in NBA history. And the dude is playing as hard as he can possibly play, doing everything he can to try to drag his team um, back from the brink of elimination. And it was a perfect encapsulation of why this guy was the MVP this year. He just played so hard, regardless of the circumstances, wanted to be available for his team. And he was and was the most reliable, available, and valuable player um, to any uh, to any team across the entire NBA. And after the game, Monte Morris said, you can't buy heart. I think of the the line on Shane Falco from the replacements, miles and miles of heart. Just the way you watch him play, it doesn't matter if his team is up 20, down 20. There's just so much fight in him and just so much passion. But you pair that with the intelligence that he plays with on the court, I think it's potentially unparalleled around the league at this point. Uh, it is. And, and people don't know how to how to judge him, how to gauge his value. Just recognize that there were four teams that went to the conference finals last year in the bubble and three of them exited in the first round of the playoffs. And I realize that the Nuggets are only going to go one round further, but he took this team that lost its second best player and they went 13 and five to close the season. And then they went on the road and beat the Portland trailblazers in six games. Um, he lifts everybody up. He, he, he makes everybody better. And he was winning with a cast of Faku, Austin Rivers, Shaq Harrison, Marcus Howard, a two-way guy. And again, just disparate parts. He works with everybody. And I think that is what's so incredible about uh, what Nikola Jokic does. And I think maybe among the coolest things about his legacy is that it will change the perception of what people think about as an NBA superstar. You you know, when you think about NBA players, you think of freak athletes, you think Giannis, you think Russell Westbrook, obviously LeBron, um, those fast twitch uh, leapers who, who are just incredible uh, physical players. And then you think about Nikola Jokic, who plays the game at his preferred speed, his preferred tempo, slows it down, and he's proven that you don't need to be a fast twitch, um, high leaper uh, to dominate the game like he did this year. And, and you know, I think we're going to end up seeing that philosophy and that perspective uh, manifest itself in the draft when big guys who generally wouldn't have gotten looks from teams may get an opportunity because of the precedent that Nikola which has set um, in this incredible MVP year. Just the last thing on Jokic before we move on to more stuff on the series, a two-part question for you. From this spectacular season from him, is there a favorite anecdote, stat, observation that comes to mind? And then also, I'd love to know specifically what you've seen from his evolution, what he's added to his game this season. Um, yeah, there's a couple things. So in January, they actually faced Phoenix and they went to overtime two consecutive games, back-to-back nights against Phoenix uh, and the Nuggets won both of those games. And what was really cool about those performances is that in both instances, Nikola Jokic lifted after each game. 
the as is his routine. He didn't break routine just because of how insane the game the game was or the circumstance was. He lifted after every single game um, this season, including those two overtime wins. That was kind of just an on court moment, and then uh, one post game was really fun. You know, I asked him, I, I prefaced a question about the MVP, and I said something to the effect of, Nicola, I know you generally don't care about individual awards. And he interrupted me, and, and he goes, who says I don't care? And I was, you know, I was taken aback. And I was like, oh, okay, I thought you only cared about team awards, not individual awards. And then he cracks, and he goes, nah, brother, I just wanted to see your reaction. Um <laughs> And that is this quintessential Jokic. He just likes to toy with you. He, he, he's funny. He doesn't take himself seriously. He's self-deprecating. Um, and he's also among the top two or three basketball players in the entire world. To your second question, the idea of the evolution, while well, his scoring you know, jumped six or seven points this year, he finished with a career high from three-point range. Or if not a career high, very close. I think he hovered around 39 or 40% this season, which – damn near makes him impossible to guard. Uh, you either, you know, you're a big guy, you stretch out to the floor, which opens up the driving lanes, or, or you sag under screens and he's going to kill you like that. Um, and then to me, it's, it's a little bit what I talked about before. I think he has just some of the softest, best hands um, and predictive hands in the NBA. He, he just seems to anticipate so well how a ball is going to be come off the backboard, come off the rim. And obviously his passing, like he sees lanes that nobody else would even dare to try. And he forces the issue on on fast breaks. He loves running point on fast breaks. And um, he loves to set up pretty much at the nail, look one way and and, and wait. And out of the corner of his eye, whip a pass to the corner, to the blind corner for an open three. We saw it last night. He threw to Jermichael Green. Jermichael Green didn't make the three, but he just does so many things that you just don't ever see you know, from a guy, uh, from a seven footer, um, you know, let alone just a second round pick. Like he is just changing every night you watch him. If you watch him closely, you will see things that you haven't seen in NBA games before in game three, he had a Euro step offhand finish layup, I believe in the first half um, of Friday's game. So it is just, it is fun to watch his evolution. He is so devastating offensively. And I think his defense is underrated. Uh, but he's never going to get celebrated on that end of the court. Yeah. Um, just a few statistics to complement what you just said. He averaged 8.3 assists per game. That's from a seven-footer. And with the more assists, that didn't hurt his assist-to-turnover rate at all. In fact, it improved significantly. His shooting percentage went up about four points, up to 56.6. And then you mentioned the three-point improvement it rose from 31% from a season ago to nearly 39%. So, I mean, you just, like you said, you can't guard that. What I actually think that the three-point shooting percentage is a testament to is his work in the gym um, and his work in the weight room. Because, you know, what's the first thing that goes when your legs are gone? 
And so yeah, the shot, exactly. Right. And so I think that he does have um, significant more stamina and just he has put so much time and effort into his body and it's and, and he's reaping the benefits. Like you talk to guys up and down the team and they will tell you how much effort and work he puts in on a daily basis. And they and they say we've never seen it from him before. This is a different level of dedication they've seen uh, beginning. I think December 1st is when they started training camp. The Nuggets offseason was shorter than the time that they spent in the bubble, which was 83 days. Their offseason was 60-some days. They were in the bubble for 83 days. Nicola comes back, game shape, December 1st, training camp hits. Three weeks later, the season starts, and he does not let up. And that's why he ended up winning the MVP. Yeah, you put that really well. And I, I think as impressive as that is, maybe some of that fatigue is finally catching up with him and his teammates. We saw he didn't really have the outside shot in game three loss, even though he's still putting up bananas numbers. It might might be catching up with him. I want to touch on the Will Barton thread briefly. He was out for seven weeks with that hamstring injury, and he was on a minutes restriction, but Mike Malone blew right past that. I think played him 28 minutes, and the minutes restriction was still at 16, if I'm not mistaken, in game three. And Will Barton is advocating to start the next game. And that really might be, I don't think it's a desperation move, um, especially if Will Barton's body can handle it. But what do you make of that dynamic? Uh, I think it's very tricky and I think it's a dicey proposition. Um, I do think that there were some very candid conversations between Will and Malone and the medical staff recently talking about how Will is willing to incur the risk. It's his body. Um, And even though he's on a minutes restriction, uh, Malone is going to trust Will. And if Will says that he feels fine, you can take a player at his word, and that's all you can do. Um, The other kind of wrinkle to this dynamic is that Will has the potential to be a free agent this summer. And, you know, you can understand the notion of being hesitant to play when you have a, he has a player option. So he could opt in. I think it's about $14 million. But if he opts out, uh, he's on the open market. And frankly, I wonder whether Will has thought to himself, I need to show the rest of the NBA that I am still healthy and I'm still a capable NBA player who can still get buckets. And uh, I think that Will probably has that in the back of his mind. Um, I don't know what Will's going to do, but it would be negligent to not consider his free agent future when assessing where he's at with this minutes restriction and, um, you know, how healthy and how capable he is in this series. Uh, In the two games that he's returned, he's been a huge spark both times off the bench. I know that Will wants to start. He's passed that along to Malone. He's told Malone. I'm sure they've had more candid conversations. But in my opinion, it may be too little too late. You're down 3-0. Starting Barton's not necessarily going to change the whole dynamic of the series. And again, taking a guy like Will off the bench, it allows you to play more consecutive minutes because he can check in end of the first and play through the start of the second rather than starting, sitting, going back in, and then getting into the break. And obviously with those hamstring soft tissue injuries, you want to be careful about kind of warming guys up, cooling them off, et cetera, et cetera. So... Um, there's a lot of layers to this Will thing, you know, but I know desperately he wants to play and he wants to increase those minutes as much as possible. Yeah, it's difficult when you're a professional athlete playing on this huge stage and you're so confident in your ability to 
help put the team in a better position to win. But health is so important. And I'm glad you highlighted how important that is when considering what kind of minutes to give him. I mean, let's think about Isaiah Thomas was on the Nuggets uh, two seasons ago. Isaiah Thomas is, case in point, the um, the example of playing while injured and not getting paid as a result of that. And yeah. you know, when he was with Boston, and that is just a... A, a really tough uh, example, but it, it is a, a, you know, an example that players need to consider, in my opinion. So, look, Will is a really smart dude. There's no doubt that he's considered his options, and I know that he wants to play and feels comfortable playing. He wouldn't do it if he didn't feel comfortable, but these are the considerations that, that players have to make. It is their body, it's their careers on the line, and, and that's what makes it a little bit uncomfortable uh, at this juncture of the season. Yeah, there are certain injuries that are tricky, like hamstrings, groin, ankles. Just hard to know exactly how your body will respond. And sometimes you could be feeling good one moment and then just re-aggravate it the next. And we definitely would not want that to happen. I do want to touch upon, as we wind down, Michael Malone. He's been in town six seasons now. He did not mince words after the Game 2 loss, saying that Denver, quote, quit tonight. And called it an embarrassing performance all the way around. How has the team responded to that type of candid talk that we've seen from him over the years? And most recently, when they most face adversity? Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about this series. I mean, I think that the Nuggets played significantly harder in Game 3. Granted, they were excited from the MVP ceremony from Jokic uh, ahead of Game 3. They fought. They just are not hitting open shots and therefore are making life uh, tougher for them on the defensive end. So, you know, obviously recent history, down 3-1 multiple times in the bubble, um, first to Utah, then to the Clippers, came back in both series. And what I think is important to to consider is that was in the bubble. That was not facing road environments. Um, There's a reason that that had never happened in NBA history before. I'm not uh, lessening the achievement by any means. I'm just saying one happened in, you know, kind of a, a stale environment and another, you know, it has never happened before where, where a team had to go on the road to come back from multiple three, one deficits. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that they've tuned out Malone by any means. You know, he's a sixth-year coach. They, I think that there's a lot of respect that runs up and down the roster uh, for him. I think that, you know, he, he could be quicker in certain adjustments. He could try to change up matchups a little bit. But the reality is the Nuggets are depleted right now. And there aren't a lot of giant changes to be made schematically uh, or personnel-wise. So the fact that they've been the only team in the Western Conference that has been a top three seed the last three seasons, they made three consecutive playoffs, um, they've advanced to the second round three consecutive years. I believe that they have the best record in the Western Conference among regular season uh, teams over the last three years in the aggregate. So. I don't know how you criticize what he has done. Um, and, you know, we were talking off air. He is just extremely candid and, he, you know, he keeps it 100 with his guys and he's transparent and he's honest. And he, he says, this is the way it is. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. You guys quit. Um, and, you know, you guys have to own that if we're going to do anything in this series or we're going to go out quietly. So um, it's just in his nature. He doesn't have alternative motives or ulterior motives. 
he basically tells it like it is and, and, you know, prides himself on being straight with the guys. And, you know, these are professional athletes. I, I think to some degree they appreciate it. Um, but, you know, he can't go to that bag every single game. Um, and and right. frankly, I haven't heard him go to that bag that often. But those are serious words. Embarrassing, soft, quit. Uh, Aaron Gordon used the word scared. This playoff series has revealed a, a lot about who this team is. Um, and I think game three w- was a good indication of the resolve that they had, even though the game got away from them in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they kept fighting back, but Phoenix had an answer every single for every single Nuggets burst. You want to believe that miracles happen, especially with a team, as you mentioned, that came back from two 3-1 deficits in the bubble. But again, it, it was in a controlled environment. They didn't have to travel back and forth from city to city. This Phoenix Suns team is no joke, as we've seen. So it's such a shame that they find themselves in this situation. So just to confirm, are you all but ruling out a miracle happening in this series, even though crazy things have happened in the history of sports? Yeah, I mean, I I don't expect the Nuggets to win this series by any means. Um, I am mostly interested to see how they compete on Sunday. Um, I think that... It will be uh, a sour taste if they don't show up and they kind of just roll over in Sunday's Game 4. I I don't think that that would be a fair indication of how the season actually went, uh, if indeed it is a four-game sweep. I want to see them compete mostly because that's how Nikola Jokic operates. And, you know, as their leader, uh, I, I would assume that everyone would follow suit, but that might be a faulty assumption. Um, so I want to see just th- their level of effort uh, on Sunday when, you know, it's pretty obvious that they are up against NBA history. And, you know, Malone made the point, like, let's prolong this series. Let's you, you win one game at a time. Let's force it to game five and, and take our chances. And what's really funny is every time the Nuggets are facing elimination, Nikola Jokic tends to say stuff like, I don't feel any pressure at all. Uh, it's a pretty simple game at this point. You either win or you don't. And you go home or you continue. And it's a pretty, you know, it's a binary thing. And he, he, he boils it down so simply. He's like, you just play hard. You give everything you have. And, and there's really nothing to be scared of. Um, if you lose, you lose. And again, if they embody that perspective, I'm not going to be shocked if they, if they come out fighting and somehow steal game four. Um, but mm-hmm. no, I do not expect them to make NBA history. Uh, I think this team is exhausted. They've been through a lot this season um, and they've played admirably. So um, frankly, going into this series, I thought it was house money. Uh, I thought the Nuggets would do better than they have, but I'm certainly not going to judge this season based off of uh, running into a buzzsaw Suns team when the Nuggets are, you know, running on E. First of all, I really want to thank you for appearing on this episode. So thank you for doing that. And I just want to close on a two part question for Nuggets fans listening to this, and I know fan comes from the word fanatic, and it, it can be tough for diehard fans of a team to be reasonable in a situation like this. But if you don't mind, I'd love for you to just suggest how they could reasonably view this season in a more balanced way, despite the obvious emotions that are probably bubbling up right now. And then also if you could close on the most pressing offseason priorities for the team, which you've alluded to a little bit throughout the interview. Yeah, I mean, 
I think that Michael Porter Jr. made very meaningful strides this year. Um, maybe the most important thing, if you weren't going to win a championship, was to know that Michael Porter Jr. was on the ascent on both ends of the court. Um, and I think that that's pretty evident. Certainly this series is not highlighting his defensive growth. Um, he's getting picked on a fair amount, uh, but he's still just a second-year player. And the other thing is, is you now have several more months to evaluate and give him reps as the number two option going into next season before Jamal Murray gets back. So they still have a big three when Jamal Murray returns, either in March or you know, whenever it is, you know, a month or two before the playoffs next year. So I still think that there's a lot of optimism. I think the Nuggets handled themselves and comported themselves very well in a really trying season that was grueling for everybody in the league, media and staffers alike. Um, and optimism, I mean, the guy just made NBA history. He was the first second round pick in, in NBA history to ever win the MVP award. If that wasn't something to celebrate, like then I don't know who you are as a fan. It was an incredible season um, with, with just unbelievable show of, of mental toughness uh, from Nikola Jokic. So uh, I think that there is, you know, the, 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 in, the infrastructure is there around Joker. Any team in the league would bend over backwards to get a player of his caliber. Um, and the Nuggets have one and they have a humble you know, egoless superstar at the at the foundation of their organization. And again, teams would kill for that. So around him, around Murray's rehab, um, and around Michael Porter, uh, in addition to, to you have one more season with Aaron Gordon, um, this team still has its core intact going into, you know, presumably next postseason. And then just in terms of offseason priorities, they have a lot of front court free agents. Uh, JaVale McGee's a free agent. Paul Millsap is a free agent. Um, Jermichael Green has a player option, as does Will Barton. And so they have a lot of question marks in that front court. And in addition to their backcourt, you know, which we're seeing get exposed right now going into the offseason here. So, you know, what does that mean for uh, Zeke Naji, a rookie who, who definitely showed flashes? Does he have a bigger role next year? What what to make a bowl bowl? Is he ever going to be a contributing uh, rotational player in the NBA? I, I don't know. Um, they just have a lot of question marks, uh, mostly because they don't know the timeline in, in terms of what they need to invest uh, before Jamal Murray gets back. Do you bring back an Austin Rivers? Um, does he kind of bridge the gap until Jamal returns? Um, these are the questions that they're asking themselves going into the offseason. But this is a team that still, again, has its core intact and, and believes it has a championship ceiling. Now they just have really difficult questions to answer in terms of money, in terms of paying Porter, in terms of who are the pieces that you put around Joker to maximize this window um, and, and, again, try to reach this championship aspiration. I think you provided excellent context. This is a team with a bright future ahead. And if there's anything we know about this Jokic-led Nuggets team, they're not going to go out without a fight. I'm not saying they're going to win the series. I don't think they are. But we're going to see some more effort and resiliency in in Game 4. That's without a doubt. Uh, I think that is entirely correct. And, um, you know, I think that that's... They're playing for pride uh, at this point. And... um, Every instance when their their character, their pride's been tested, they, they've shown up. So whether they win or they lose, uh, I don't expect them to get smoked come Sunday.
Thanks a lot, Mike. Keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.